Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into the influential work Manufacturing Consent, co-authored by Edward S. Herman and Noam Chomsky. The book exposes the inner workings of the mass media, arguing that the spectrum of popular discourse is limited not by accident but by design. Herman and Chomsky introduce us to their propaganda model, a framework that highlights how economic and political factors serve to filter out dissenting perspectives, ensuring that the media narrative advances the interests of the wealthy and powerful. Herman, with his keen insight into finance and political economy, and Chomsky, an intellectual giant renowned for his critiques of global political culture and media, combine their expertise to reveal how the so-called free press contributes to maintaining a system of inequality and control. While Herman brings a focused economic lens to the table, Chomsky provides a broader critique of power structures, both illustrating the media's role in shaping our perceptions and beliefs in favor of dominant societal forces. Manufacturing consent is an essential read for anyone interested in who really sets the media agenda, the interests that are served by mainstream narratives, and the reasons behind the sidelining of independent and alternative voices. If you've ever questioned the impartiality of the media, or are curious about the unseen forces that sculpt our worldviews, this book will offer you a profound analysis and transformative insight into the true nature of media influence. Join us as we uncover the mechanics of consent and the subtle art of media control that shapes our society. Manufacturing Consent The Political Economy of the Mass Media Introduction Unveiling the Media's Subtle Doctrine Reinforcing Societal Disparities Imagine a world where the nightly news, the morning paper, and the endless stream of online articles are more than just sources of information. They are the architects of consensus, shaping our understanding of the world and our place in it. While we look to news outlets for clarity and truth, there's an underlying narrative that often goes unnoticed, the reinforcement of societal imbalance. The media are entrusted with a powerful tool, the ability to disseminate ideas far and wide. But with this power comes an unspoken responsibility to weave the tapestry of societal norms and values. This isn't just about keeping the public informed. It's about aligning the masses with a particular worldview. And whose worldview might that be? It belongs to a select group ensconced in the upper echelons of power and wealth. As guardians of the status quo, the media don't merely report the news. They frame it within the boundaries that safeguard the interests of a ruling minority. By doing so, they craft a narrative that sustains the existing power dynamics, fostering a subtle acceptance of the disparities that define our social structure. The vaunted ideal of media objectivity is bandied about with fervor, held as a shield against accusations of bias. Yet the claim of impartiality masks a deeper truth. The media's primary allegiance lies not with the public good, but with the preservation of privilege. Through a carefully calibrated lens, events are portrayed in a light that buttresses the entrenched hierarchy, shaping perceptions to ensure conformity to the inequitable reality. In essence, the media do not merely reflect the world as it is, 
they play an instrumental role in convincing us that the world as it is, is as it should be. Part 1. When Titans Clash, the Illusion of Media Dissent in Elite Disputes Picture a scene where powerful figures are embroiled in controversy, a gripping tale of scandal at the highest levels. This is the stuff that headline dreams are made of, and the press seems to rise to the occasion, vigorously exposing the missteps of leaders and magnates. Take Watergate, for instance, a moment in history that seems to exemplify the media's watchdog role. At first glance, it may seem the media is standing up to the powers that be, championing the cause of transparency and justice. This confrontation could be mistaken as evidence that the media is an autonomous force that holds the ruling class accountable. Yet, this is a mere facade, a superficial rift that emerges not from a quest for truth, but from a schism within the ranks of the elite themselves. Such high-profile criticisms are not born from a media defense of the public against the oligarchy. Instead, they represent an internal battle, the media acting as a mouthpiece for one faction of the elite against another. The reporting is robust and relentless, but selectively so. It serves the interests of powerful players in their skirmishes for dominance. Consider the stark contrast when those receiving media scrutiny do not belong to the hallowed halls of power. When the marginalized or non-elite groups face state oppression, as in the case of the Socialist Workers' Party being illegally surveilled, the clamor of media outrage falls conspicuously silent. These stories find little air to breathe in the public discourse, their grievances left largely unheard. The media's selective dissent is a smoke-and-mirror game, giving the illusion of critique while actually playing within the rules of elite conflict. True criticism arising from outside the ruling circles rarely finds a champion within mainstream media channels. Thus, in a world where elite interests diverge, the press might appear adversarial. But this is just the echo of a battle among behemoths, not a genuine stand against the concentration of power. Part 2. Navigating the News. The Unseen Currents of Elite Influence. In a labyrinth of narratives, the mass media stands as a towering beacon, guiding society's perception of reality. Yet, beneath the surface, there lurks an intricate web of selective filters, a propaganda model designed to sift through the torrent of information, ensuring that only the most elite-friendly messages find their way into the public arena. The Western media pride themselves on operating without the overt shackles of state control or blatant censorship, a stark contrast to their counterparts in more authoritarian regimes. This semblance of freedom creates an illusion of impartiality, a belief in the West's unbridled and equitable press. But the influences that shape media content are less overt, more insidious, and deeply embedded in the very structures that support it. The propaganda model serves as a sieve, where economic pressures, ownership interests, and the symbiotic relationship with news sources conspire to craft a curated version of the truth, the necessity for profitability, the need to cater to the whims of sponsors, and the reliance on a steady stream of materials from government and corporate entities, these are the forces that purify the flow of information. Consider the case of General Electric, a behemoth whose tendrils extend into media ownership. 
With stakes in hot-button industries like nuclear power and arms dealing, their vested interests cast a long shadow over the editorial choices of their media networks. Conflict areas are avoided and controversies are downplayed to align the narrative with the company's goals. The news sources, too, wield their influence with finesse. By providing a reliable pipeline of ready-made stories, they seduce the media into a dependency that leaves little room for critical analysis or divergent perspectives. These powerful sources mold the narrative to their liking before it even reaches the public eye. Through these meticulous filters, news that squeaks through the press is primed to uphold and validate the status quo, leaving dissenting voices and counter-narratives struggling to break the surface. In the orchestration of public discourse, the media dances to a tune played by the elite, a symphony that subtly manipulates the consensus and whimsically channels the flow of information. Part 3. The Commercial Giants How Concentrated Ownership Shapes the Media Landscape Cast your mind back to the vibrant dawn of the 19th century's left-wing radical press in Britain, where a diverse independent media thrived, echoing the pulse of the working class. Fearless and fiery, these outlets challenged the ruling class's iron grip on information, representing a genuine menace to their narrative monopoly. Despite the establishment's best efforts to smother this burgeoning dissent through libel laws and relentless prosecutions, the radical press stood resilient. But the seemingly indomitable spirit of the radical press met its match in the merciless arena of the free market. The Industrial Revolution brought with it the monster of mass production. Giant printing presses that could churn out vast quantities of publications. The financial juggernaut of mainstream publications, fueled by state-of-the-art machinery, overshadowed the modest operations of the independent press. What state oppression could not extinguish, the cold hand of capitalism did, as these small voices were drowned by the economic tides, leaving only the right-leaning media propelled by elite forces afloat. This trend of consolidation snowballed through time, where today, the sphere of mass media is dominated by a handful of affluent families and corporate monoliths. Their influence stretches far and wide. Just 29 media conglomerates command over half of American newspaper circulation, monopolizing the vast majority of magazine readership, movie viewership, book sales, and broadcast audiences. For independent media, the ongoing battle against this Goliath is daunting, with victory seeming more mythic than achievable. The might of the monolithic media entities isn't just their size or reach, but their appeal to capital investors like banks and stockbrokers. The infusion of investment capital comes with strings attached. The unequivocal pursuit of profits achieved through relentless sales and aggressive advertising. In this commerce-driven environment, the sanctity of journalistic objectivity and independence languishes beneath the oppressive weight of profitability and elite control. The concentration of media power in the hands of a few could spell a homogenized, profit-centric narrative casting a long shadow over the diverse landscape of public discourse. Part 4. Ads Dictate Content the tether between media survival and advertiser appeasement. Delve into the intricate workings of the media industry, 
and you'll find that the gears are oiled by a single, pervasive substance. Advertising revenue. With exorbitant operational costs climbing by the minute, from broadcasting studios to reporting bureaus, the survival of these media titans hinges on the favor of advertisers. A media outlet starved of advertising dollars is akin to a vessel in treacherous waters without sails. Its demise is all but assured. Seized by the imperative need to attract and, more importantly, retain advertisers, media organizations craft their content to cater to these financial lifelines. In this symbiosis, advertisers wield substantial power, shaping the media's content through both overt actions and nuanced influence. Thus, another layer lodges itself firmly in the propaganda model. The reliance on advertising translates to an indirect mechanism through which the affluent few can suppress stories that run counter to their interests. Real-world scenarios paint a clear picture of this dynamic at play. Consider a television network that aired a documentary exposing corporate misconduct in developing countries, only to witness a swift withdrawal of advertising funds. The message is stark and the ramifications far-reaching. Investigative journalism comes at a cost that threatens the media's fiscal foundations. This intertwined relationship extends its reach to programming decisions, where advertisers lobby for a milieu of entertainment that sustains the audience's buying mood. Preferences skew toward frivolity over substance, replacing thought-provoking documentaries and drama with an array of distractions designed to keep viewers primed for consumption. At the heart of this delicate dance lies the advertiser's ultimate quest to boost sales. The affluent viewers ensconced in disposable income become the coveted target, their patronage promising heightened profits for advertisers. The media, in its pursuit to charm this demographic, narrows its content, marginalizing the narratives that appeal to the less affluent working class. This selectivity not only dictates who gets the spotlight, but also shades the media landscape, narrowing the spectrum of voices and stories that find their way to the public. Bound by the necessity of revenue, the media will invariably contour its content to ensure the pleasure and support of its advertisers, crafting a media environment where commerce colors every corner of the conversation. Part 5. Media's Lifeline. The Dependency on Official Sources for News. Imagine the relentless beast that is the media cycle, ravenous for a never-ending supply of stories to satiate the public's voracious appetite for news. Yet, in a world bursting with events, the media's reach can only extend so far. Reporters can't be omnipresent, and so they turn to the ever-flowing fountains of information. State-run institutions and the well-oiled communication machines of colossal corporations these behemoth sources become the mainstays for news organizations due to their ability to provide a steady cascade of announcements and developments. The stature of these entities lends an air of credibility to their output, allowing the media to parade the information as verified truth, skirting the resource-draining process of independent verification. This dependence introduces a subtle yet profound distortion in the media's portrayal of events as it becomes a conduit for narratives curated by the powers that be, another cog in the propaganda model's mechanism that shapes the news narrative. 
By feeding the media, government bodies and corporate titans can manufacture the angle and timing of their stories, wielding the press as a tool to bolster their agendas. A chilling example of this narrative control was the 1984 misinformation campaign about Soviet MiG aircraft in Nicaragua. Scheduling the release of this false narrative at a strategic moment stirred panic and swayed public opinion, aiding President Reagan's political maneuvers. Outsider sources, those that offer stories less frequently or challenge the prevailing elite discourse, find themselves on treacherous terrain. The irregularity of their contributions, combined with heightened scrutiny, often relegates their narratives to the margins. And the media, wary of jeopardizing their essential lifelines, may self-censor or downplay these alternative viewpoints, lest they alienate their main chronicles. Thus we see how the media's intrinsic need for a consistent pipeline of content drives it into the arms of government and corporate giants, ensnaring it in a complex web of influence and control and shaping the news diet served to society. Part 6. How Elites Wield Flack as a Weapon Against Dissenting Media In the theatre of news reporting, not all narratives are greeted with applause. When media outlets step outside the lines drawn by the ruling class, they face a barrage of corrective fire. This is flack, the artillery of the elite. It serves as more than mere disagreement. It is an orchestrated campaign to discipline those who stray from the sanctioned script. The arsenal of flack is diverse and formidable. Intimidation may come in the form of legal threats or litigious salvos aimed squarely at outspoken journalists or their employers. Titan corporations or government entities might unleash a storm of disparaging press statements aiming to discredit the narrative in question. Under the shadow of flack, advertisers, the financial lifeblood of many media operations, may be coaxed into withdrawing their support sending a clear message about the consequences of dissent. The undercurrent of this strategy is to evoke self-doubt within media organisations, spawning perceptions of biased, unfair reporting. By casting the media as partisan actors with a liberal bias, flack drives a wedge of mistrust between the public and journalists, an apparent validation for the establishment's admonishments. Patronised by the ruling elite, Right-wing think tanks arise as sophisticated flak factories. With the sheen of prestige and the might of hearty endowments, these think tanks craft narratives that sow doubt about the media's motivations and integrity. To the uninformed observer, when a reputable, well-funded body raises a cry of unfair criticism, the message reverberates, swaying opinion and garnering attention. A stark illustration of flak's potency unfurled during the Vietnam War with the publication of a critique by the think tank Freedom House. The document condemns the media for presenting a too bleak picture of the war, even accusing the press of costing the United States the victory through this coverage. Despite methodological flaws and flagrant exaggerations, the document is embraced by elite circles and amplified across media platforms, a testament to the influence of well-constructed flack. In summary, the capacity for the elite to punish and suppress critical media discourse through flak remains yet another cog in the propaganda model, creating an environment where media organizations must navigate a minefield of pressure to preserve both their reputation and their financial viability.
Part 7, The Cold War Lens, Media's Portrayal Skewed by Anti-Communism. Step back in time to an era where the world teetered precariously on the brink of ideological conflict, and you'll uncover a stark narrative dichotomy. Through the mass media's eyes, the global stage was split into two, the bastion of freedom led by the United States and the shadow of communism cast by its adversaries. Like an omnipresent filter, this worldview seeped into every crevice of news reporting. Within this framework, the actions of communist entities were invariably cast in a grim light, each misstep magnified and each transgression scrutinized. Conversely, the deeds of America and its comrades received a favorable paintbrush, their sins often obscured or omitted entirely. Atrocities under communist rule were headlined and fervently condemned, while similar acts under pro-American regimes conveniently escaped scrutiny. The rulers, for whom the media's narratives echoed their own, found utility in this polarization. Unitarian fears of communism served as an adhesive, fusing disparate groups into a collective front supportive of American endeavors. The notion of combating a shared foe rendered the public more amenable to the endeavors of the elites, uniting them under the banner of anti-communism. Being labeled as a communist, or insufficiently resistant to communism, was to be stamped anti-American, an invective powerful enough to ensnare those who challenge societal imbalances. As a result, even the most ardent liberals found themselves impelled toward the safety of conservatism, lest they be branded traitors to the cause. In the crucible of this perpetual standoff, media narratives skewed rightward, not only altering the complexion of journalism, but nudifying the perceived political center. An invisible hand, governed by fears of communism, steered stories along a path markedly to the right, constituting yet another layer of the propaganda model. Thus, the battle against communism did not just shape foreign policy, but refracted through the lens of the mass media, it molded public perception, setting the stage for a drama in which the shades of nuance were lost to the stark contrast of Cold War hues. Part 8. Media's Unspoken Alliance. Reporting with a bias toward Western allies. If one were to weigh the words of the mass media on a scale of neutrality, an imbalance would become glaringly evident. Despite claims of impartiality, the media's treatment of the world's events is far from even-handed. It is a seesaw tipped by political allegiances. Peel back the layers of the stories told by the media and examine the nuances of their coverage in areas steeped in geopolitical intrigue such as Central America. It's an arena of particular interest to the U.S., riddled with governments of varying political hues, some leaning towards the fans of Washington's policies, others viewed with suspicion for their leftward tilt. This bias can be starkly observed in how the media portrays the democratic process in different countries, especially those under the United States' sphere of influence. Take the case of Guatemala and El Salvador under the sway of militaristic regimes with the U.S. stamp of approval. In these countries, manipulative and even violent elections are dressed in the garb of legitimacy through the media's uncritical lens. Conversely, Nicaragua, during its dalliance with more socialist policies, presented a stark contrast. 
Despite organizing elections that were lauded by international observers as genuine and democratic, the media's portrayal was tinted with skepticism, painting it as little more than a pageant to legitimize the existing government. This pattern of favoritism towards states aligned with Western interests is as revealing as it is alarming, showcasing the media not as a beacon of truth, but as an instrument playing harmonious chords to the Western world's geopolitical symphony. When the stage of world events is set, the mass media, in conjunction with the prevailing Western narrative, chooses the heroes and villains not by the script of their actions, but by the flags they fly. Part 9. Experts on Call. The Media's Selective Use of Authority. When the media presents an expert opinion, it exudes an air of undeniable authority, suggesting that the insights offered are the product of rigorous study and impartial reasoning. However, the impartiality and expertise showcased by these media darlings are not without their orchestration. Behind the scenes, these experts are crucial pawns in the strategic game of elite propaganda dissemination. The elite have the means and the motive to cultivate and employ these so-called experts. Institutions like think tanks are erected, becoming breeding grounds for individuals whose research and pronouncements conveniently align with the agendas of those writing the checks. These entities become assembly lines, churning out studies and soundbites that reinforce the desired narrative. The stamp of expertise is selectively bestowed. Only those whose ideologies sync up with the elites are ushered into the spotlight. The sanctity of this title belies the fact that, more often than not, the appointed experts serve not to illuminate but to legitimize. Their real value lies in their ability to cloak partisan views with an air of scholarly neutrality. One striking instance of expert manipulation occurred in the wake of the assassination attempt on Pope John Paul II in 1981. Despite the assailant being a right-wing extremist from Turkey, the media spotlight shone on experts who pointed the finger at the Soviet Union. Armed with dubious evidence and a narrative that bordered on conjectural at best, these experts found a receptive platform across media outlets. Such willingness to propagate an arguably unfounded conspiracy highlighted the power these supposed authorities wielded in shaping news narratives. Thus, when navigating the currents of the media's ocean of information, one must remember that the experts steering the discourse are rarely captains without a fleet. They sail under the flag of the elite and to the tunes played by those who dominate the waves. Part 10. Life's Worth Measured by Media Narrative Welcome to the dark theatre of international news, where the value of a life is not inherent, but rather weighed on a scale tipped by political agendas. There are stories that seize the headlines, tugging at heartstrings and igniting outrage while others are allowed to fade into obscurity, their subjects deemed unworthy of the spotlight. Consider the 1984 tragedy of a Polish priest, a staunch opponent of the communist regime, whose brutal murder at the hands of the secret police became a media sensation in the United States. The narrative was tailor-made for impact, the cold cruelty of communism personified in a single, heinous act. This narrative served not only as a poignant tale, but also as kindling for anti-communist sentiment, 
perfectly aligning with the objectives of American foreign policy. Yet in sharp contrast stands the media's deafening silence on the fate of religious figures in Central America, many of whom endured torture and assassination for dissenting against pro-American autocratic rulers. These victims, whose ordeals matched the Polish priest in brutality, found no champions in the media. Their stories lingered in the shadows, untold and unacknowledged. Through this lens, a priest perishing under a communist regime is given a story a hundredfold more significant than that of a priest meeting a similar fate under the watch of a U.S. ally. The media's selective storytelling casts a revealing light on its hidden priorities to amplify the faults of foes and muffle the misdeeds of friends. The calculus is as cold as it is clear. Some deaths serve as powerful propaganda tools, while others, those that unsettle the carefully maintained facade of allied nations, are swept under the rug. In this media landscape, the worth of a life is not inherent, but determined by the role it plays in the grand geopolitical chess game. Final summary. The convergence of news and power is no accident. It's by design. Manufacturing consent peels back the layers of the media's facade, revealing a system designed to bolster the perspectives and interests of the ruling economic and political elite. This is achieved through a framework known as the propaganda model, which sanitizes the news landscape, ensuring that the perspectives present are those favored by the people at the top. What mechanisms allow the ruling elite to dominate the news narrative? The media is much more than a passive mirror of reality. It's an active participant in shaping the ideology of society, steered by its role as an indoctrinator rather than an informer. Engulfed in its narrative are seldom criticisms of the elite. Such dissent is only given airtime when the elite themselves are at odds. What constitutes the propaganda model employed by mass media? The roots of media bias trace back to its architecture, a structure built upon the propaganda model. This concept dictates the filtration of information, sifting out content that contradicts elite interests. Ownership of mass media by a handful of successful families and corporations exemplifies this, with profit ruling as the primary goal. Advertisers, too, wield influence as their financial backing demands alignment of media content with their interests. Reliance on a steady stream of news content further binds media to the narratives spun by government and corporate giants. How does the fear of repercussions, dubbed flack, stunt critical media reporting? To maintain the status quo, the media faces flack from the elite, a form of pushback against dissenting coverage. This punitive measure ensures a continued lean towards stories that defend the status quo. How do the mass media navigate international news to favor Western alignment? The portrayal of international affairs through the media lens is far from objective, skewing heavily in favor of Western allies. This approach magnifies the misdeeds of states seen as adversaries while overlooking or downplaying the infractions of friendly nations. How do experts become mouthpieces for the media's biased narratives. Often masquerading as voices of neutrality, experts are frequently tapped by the media to validate their biases. Cloaked in the prestige of scholarship and proficiency, 
these individuals parrot the views of the dominant elite, enhancing the credibility of biased reporting. How does the media's valuation of human lives play into its propagated messages? In a world where not all tragedies are created equal in the eyes of the media, the value ascribed to a life depends on the narrative it supports. Deaths that critique unfriendly regimes are amplified, while those implicating allies are downplayed or ignored, crafting a morbid hierarchy of worthiness based on political usefulness. In essence, manufacturing consent illustrates that the mass media operate not as neutral information channels, but as guardians of an unequal and biased status quo, relentlessly pushing the narratives that underpin the power of a select few. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then. Happy reading and happy listening.